0: Welcome to Moralia Python Radio, with your hosts, Eric Burk and Owen McIntyre.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio, and the excitement is in the air tonight, not because it stays away from Carpetfest, but because I am joined by the YouTube sensation... Oh, go
2: <laughs> fuck yourself. <laughs> Mr.
1: <laughs> McIntyre. Fresh off his debut appearance with From the Ground Up Podcast, which was actually a very good episode. You guys did a good I, job. Uh I I enjoyed it. It was uh yeah. it was weird to hear your voice and not my voice
2: with it. <laughs> I'm like not, not, or or any of my other handlers, like there wasn't Rob coming in every once in a while. You know, <laughs>
0: I was I was yeah. let
2: out to go play on my own, and that was scary. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun time, and it was cool to kind of bust out some of the old stories. And it was like – and, and I hate the fact that it was like – they're like, what were some of your favorite episodes? So I'm like, uh, uh. Like, I just I couldn't <laughs> think of one. And it just – I kept trying to be like one of them. Just think of, like, one. And I'm like – the problem is I kept thinking of instances – from shows so it was like oh like oh man when this guy said this or when we heard this story from this guy so it was like it wasn't one episode it was chunks from episodes it was nuts so but no it was uh it was fun i enjoyed it so
1: i think i don't know i could i may Mm -hmm. be saying something out of um out of terms or out of context or whatever but i guess it would be like for me to go on reptile radio, you know what mm. I mean? Like the guys that sort of like, cause I, I know, um, you know, they're in <clears throat> like, I was, I was texting, uh, the chat that you were dreamy and, uh, you're <laughs> damn right. I am. Some, <laughs> somehow <laughs> the topic of podcast came up and like, can there be
2: enough podcasts and yeah. shit, man, the more, the of merrier. Course. Uh, and, and there were there were a few times where it was I, like, you know, um, where I wanted time to kind of like think the answer is going to want to make sure that, you know, we got, I got the right message across. And with that one, I, I feel that there's that's a no brainer. There's always room for more podcasts, more anything. I mean, you know, we're not going to stop. <laughs> I mean, but that doesn't yeah. mean that there can't be other things out there. And I was uh totally all about that. And I guess it was. um It was weird because they're like, you know, how'd you do it? And I'm like, I I sat down at my computer every Tuesday night and I call Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you want more of an answer? Crap. Uh, So it's like details, man. Details, man. How? I don't know. I just, I just, yeah. And it was, it was funny because they're like was it always instantaneous? I'm like, fuck no, we were falling <laughs> over each other. We didn't know oh, yeah. Like our second conversation ever was recorded. It's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, what do you want here? So it, you know, mm. don't, my suggest, my, what I would say is that if you do want to start a podcast, do it and understand that there will be growing pains and you just got to fight through it, you know, and you will eventually get to a point where it, it gets better. I mean, like I've li- I listened to a ton, I listened to a bunch of podcasts and, their first couple ones are always rough and then they get comfortable, they start learning their audience, start learning where jokes are feeling each other, out, and then it becomes a good podcast. They even start getting like dumb catchphrases to say at the end of the podcast. It's fine. So yeah. It's uh Yeah, it was funny at the end of their podcast you're saying our
1: usual end of our <laughs> I click in there. It's like
2: some sort of Manchurian Candidate like, thing, like I was activated and I just start talking, you know? Yeah. Christ. Yeah. No, it was cool.
1: You didn't really. You yeah. guys, like, I guess you talked a little bit about colubrids, or as you say, colubrids. Stop it. <laughs> that was a that was a a, a heated disgust No, it
2: wasn't heated. But no well, little, I mean, I mean, like, What do you discussion. want from me? I mean, <laughs> You know, it, and I, like, I even said it before. It, I said it during the show. It's like there are times where, like, I would get on. I'd be like, well, you mispronounced this dude's name the entire freaking time. I'd be like, shit. I'm like, you know, that that's just me. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I'm bad with that, too. Latin.
2: I know. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, there wasn't a whole T-shirt made because you kept fucking up the name of a snake. I mean, you know.
1: Oh, just
0: That love, happened. <laughs> no,
2: yeah. It's so much uh, You welcome. know what? I, um, the but, only thing.
1: The only thing I was disappointed is there wasn't mm. enough
2: Squatch talk, man. I I, was, I, refused, <laughs> I refuse. I it. I, I was.
0: Cer- they. They tried, and I'm like, man. no.
1: <laughs> I wanted you so bad to tell the story of uh, when we were driving to. No, uh,
2: I was going to, and Tinley uh, totally switched yeah, it. S- yeah.
1: Yeah, you sort of were saying that wasn't the worst was thing that right happened to. in Tinley. Yeah, and I'm like. Yeah. Uh, that was a uh, classic driving to Tinley, and I think it was me, you, Zach, Matt driving. Yep. And yep. we didn't even believe it, but man, you just got so heated. I was I like, I got mad. <laughs>
0: like, I was
1: like, look, look at those trees, man. It looks like, uh, <laughs> what do they call it when they
2: flip them upside down? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's not true. And, like, you know, that's. Apparently, it's one of my triggers I didn't even know I had. But um, You're like, I hate you all. Shut the fuck up. And, like, the problem is is that you have this infuriating ability to become the devil's advocate where you speak calmly and you start bringing bullet points of facts out. And I just want to hit you. And it's like, you know, but Owen... Wouldn't you understand that this animal at one point may have existed? And de- shut up, shut up, shut up! It's like that. Yeah, I'll say this. This is usually my go-to. Mm. Oh, and
1: with someone such a scientific background, you would think mm. that with species being found every day, and the fact that gorillas were not found until whatever year <laughs> it was, don't you think that it's possible that maybe no, there is no, a I large primate that's no, living? It's Stop. not it's not a UFO, it's not you know, no, 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 none of no. that it, crazy
2: shit. Well, no, <laughs> you're like, ah! is, no, 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 because it is a Drive off the road right now, Matt. That runs off the that, that, that apparently has the distribution of the entire continental United States <laughs> and no one has hit it with a car.
0: See and how heated it. Yeah,
2: no, the thing is like, yeah, gorillas were discovered, but how populated was the area No, we're not getting into this. I can't so <laughs> This is why it wasn't on the show last night, because I wouldn't just yeah, scream well, for 20 minutes. It's no <sighs> good time.
1: Yep. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if uh, you have not checked it out, you should definitely go over and check out From the Ground Up, uh, not only Owen show, but uh, they have uh, pretty much, yeah, they've had a lot of good shows in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing a good job over there. And, uh, yeah, so good, good, it's good stuff. Something, and
2: something to listen to on um, t- Tuesdays or Thursdays, Wednesdays, yeah, is see, ours. <laughs> <you know? laughs>
1: I listen to it on Tuesday when it comes out. Usually I'm off. I wasn't off today because I'm off this mm-hmm. weekend, but usually I am I listen, you know, when I'm cleaning snake snakes and stuff. So it's like, oh, right. OK, you know, you know, it's like it's like the prequel to NPR,
2: you know. So like allegedly, if, if you hadn't watched it like live last night, you would have had two hours of my voice. To sit down to two hours of my voice. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well I did. I watched
1: <laughs> it last night. Oh. Wow. I did I watched half of it. Like I tuned in, okay. and it was like halfway through. And uh right. when I said you were dreamy and then yeah. in the chat. And then uh <laughs> yeah, that's when uh Melissa freaked out. <laughs> yeah. You know? And you're like, tell him to go away.
2: <laughs> Get out of here. It's my turn. You let yes. me. You told me I could go outside alone. <laughs> so, and yeah. the
1: guy that was the guest, and I tried to say this in the chat, but I, I don't think that people saw it or whatever. But the guy that made your voice go up, like, oh, human baby. Yeah.
0: yeah,
2: that was <laughs> <laughs> was uh was Michael Pinnell. Oh God, yes. Oh my yeah. God, I remember now. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was again something that's been recorded that I will never be able to escape. So there we go. Yeah. Awesome,
1: Good. yeah. You guys hit on some classic NPR episodes on that show for sure. But uh, yeah,
2: we are
1: days away from Carpet Fest, and of course,
2: uh,
1: I have added some gray hair. And uh, yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be like, "How you feeling, man? <laughs> I mean, are you gonna go gonna quick get like your hair you... dyed or something before?"
1: Yeah, <laughs> <Whew>. yeah. So <laughs> I got an early pickup tomorrow for Rob. And, Rob, you're probably listening to this on the flight. And um, I told Owen before, you you got a job to do tomorrow. While I'm at work,
2: it's called clean snakes. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, you better do it right. I mean, Eric's going to walk through with one of those white gloves and just double-check everything.
1: Yeah, that's the other thing, man. Whenever anybody, Mm. like you and Rob or you and those guys last night, like you you (laughs) – I guess because I'm the older one, I don't know. It's just (laughs) – it's like I'm the dad of the group. It's like, oh, man, he's super strict, man. You better you better make sure it's exactly right, man.
2: Listen, you can't get mad at me for telling lies about you now. We're like six years <laughs> in it, dude. Yeah. I mean, people come up to you at shows and go, you're not that short. And that's it. Like, And I, I take pride in that. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> you yeah. can't start now. Well, I was telling you before the show, and –
1: I'll, I'll say the story real quick, but I was telling you before the show started that, you know, I'm going around and my wife was asking me to hang up um, a, a, a mirror. And she says, can you hang this up? And I said, yeah, you know, I get out the level and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. And um, I hang it up. She comes down. Mm. And she's like, well, that's way too low. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I can see right in the mirror; it's the perfect height. She's like, no, it's too low. And I'm like, well, first of all, why did you walk away when you asked me to hang it if you wanted it a specific height? Like, and then I'm like, god damn it, even you are getting me with the hobbit height. Uh, really you you know (laughs) yeah i'm like god damn it me and roxy are the only ones that uh
2: (laughs) she's the only one who understands me
1: Yes. (laughs) oh my goodness but uh yeah so this weekend is carpet fest uh if you uh uh didn't know or live in a under a rock or
2: Hole, something like and you that you haven't been listening so, to us yeah i mean come on now so dude
1: i think this is going to be insane i think it's going to be like i think it's going to be here.
2: nuts i don't it's, <laughs> it's gone it's out of control so yeah. and uh the auction is going to go live what do we say thursday yes yeah cuz okay. i don't
1: have time to do it until stop
2: asking the auction will go live <laughs> on thursday yeah, you know. So yes, we're going to do that. So you guys will have all day Thursday. another and job ready. that Rob's going to be doing. He <laughs> <laughs> don't know that yet either.
1: I'll give well,
0: him my
2: chair. Now. He <laughs> can sit right
1: at the NPR throne, right on my computer. He, he can do whatever he wants. But
2: <laughs> good job, Rob. <laughs> so like, it's like, all
1: right, man, I'll take care of it.
2: I'm got to think so. about what's Chris Olamy going to do when he gets down. I mean, he's hurt. We really can't so I got use rocks, him like the the mule. Oh really? Oh, we are. He's right.
1: gonna, That's he's gonna collect him. the rings on the bottom of the pool because I can't get down. <laughs> that
2: far. That's his job. Just imagine Chris me with like water wingies trying to get your rings in the pool. Yeah, yeah. this is exactly. this is odd.
3: So, yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> but uh, uh. yeah, so yeah, Carpet Fest. We'll talk about that at the end of the show too. Um, but uh, it's this weekend, man. It's uh, shit or get off the pot time. So. Yeah. Um, I, uh, have some cool snakes that you can check out. Um, there'll be tons of people here. I mean, uh, you got, uh, lots of people flying in from, uh, all over the, all over the, yeah. all over the States. You have, um, you know, uh, Nick Mutton, Brandon wheelers coming in from the West coast. You got, uh, mm-hmm. Ian coming down bill from down South. You got the uh, Maryland crew riding up Howard and I think Jason's coming and all those guys. I don't know. I saw he wasn't
2: uh, Jason, he was. Jason has his son has a soccer tournament unfortunately, so he won't oh. be able to make it. Yeah. I talked oh, to him earlier go. this week. So Dog. uh but Eric Kohler is coming, um Hesham is coming. Uh Yeah. You know, Nick Scally's coming, Rob Stone is coming, I'm coming, you're probably going to be there I guess. Um, I, think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, unless <laughs> I might sneak out the back. <laughs> And leave Dory to deal do with all this crap? He's yeah. Horrible. Yeah, Dory. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so it's going to be – I think it's going to be a really good time. It's really going to be a, a
1: – a, Buddy Buscemi. Yeah.
2: I, yeah James McIntyre. Um, so it's going to be uh, fun. Tom Burke. Uh,
3: not the Boa yeah, my dad. There we go. <laughs> uh,
2: the, uh, dad did threaten to call in and tell everybody who was listening that the party for Carpet Fest starts at Eric's house tonight. So you oh. may want to block his number this time. Otherwise, it will come back on you, where all the other times it's come back on me. So Hey, man, I got shit to do. So if you want to party,
1: I'll give you some drinks, <laughs> and I'll put you to work.
2: Get to work. <laughs> Clean them <laughs> snake cages. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, so we got that, like I said, after we're uh, – but the guest tonight is uh, David Brahms. Uh, we're going to be – I saw – so how this came about is, is that, mm. you know, I'm always looking for – people that think outside the box are trying to push the um, reptile hobby forward, if you will, forward thinking, that kind of thing, like trying to come up with solutions to problems that people just say, well, that's just a chondro being a chondro or a carpet being mm-hmm. a carpet or whatever you want to say. Um, and <clears throat> once again, I am saddened by, the response from outside of the Carpet Python world, as far as like just people being open minded, it's just, it's, it just becomes negative and it, just about the whole Exanic thing, man. It's just, I get it, you know, and I didn't weigh in on the issue because this is what I feel mm-hmm. and this is where I think people go wrong. They want to argue with people that actually hatch them out. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> that if you ha- don't ha- have and hatch them out, then right. you should just shut the fuck up and sit down and listen. Yes. And listen. listen. And open Learn. your mind to what <laughs> people are saying. Right. Because they have them. So, for instance, if Paul Harris comes and says that he thinks that he can pick out the heads. now he's not saying it's incomplete dominant or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's just saying that you can pick out the heads, Right. It's the guy that's that that pretty much put those in the U.S. You know what I'm saying? So, so like I'm sure that he's produced quite a number of clutches of them. So, I get it. I get it. People can't. It's the same thing with incomplete dominant. I I totally understand that why people are are reluctant. And I get why it confuses people, and I get why people get upset, and you know. But God, man, this whole thing about I'm in this camp and you're in that camp, and if you're in that camp, you're just a moron you or suck, a pompous yeah, ass whatever. or whatever. I mean, it's just mm. it's crazy. Why can't we have a conversation about a topic and you know listen to the other point people's point of view rather than just dismissing it like they're morons? Like you're not talking about somebody that. I totally understand when, when you're talking about something that, you know, somebody's just making it up and they got nothing to back it up. You know right. what I'm saying? Like to me, okay, right. I get why you would call that person a knucklehead or whatever. But like, you know, when you have proof or examples to back it up, well, I, I, I don't know, man. I just, I. I don't understand it, and I don't understand like why it just becomes this negative thing. Like, geez, it's the same thing with popping carpet pythons. It was like, oh my god, you would have thought that this was the end of freaking Moralia. It's like, I'm calling them IJs, and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like okay, then call them IJs. I don't know what to tell you, but like, if you know for for a group of people, reptile people that are usually come from this because they are fascinated by nature and how it works and like what makes the snake tick and like, you're just, you know, looking at it, move or eat or shed or, or breed or hatch out of an egg or, you know what I mean? Like all these different things that, that happen through the process of its life, you know, you just, I, I don't know, man. I, I, it just, it baffles me that when you talk to somebody about something and you have some proof to back it up or you talk to a geneticist we had ben on the week before mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. is a geneticist this is what he does you know what i mean like it's how can i argue with the guy I,
2: <laughs> he's a doctor of gen- yeah like, yeah, I mean, like holy shit on. man like he's uh, way you know. more like he, like he's forgotten more shit about genetics than i ever knew like you know come but he, on
1: but even he didn't officially say that it's you know incomplete dominant or whatever he's just stating mm-hmm. what why why people would think that you know and and right. this is the first year that i've hatched out Xanax. you know and honestly i kind of like i i hatched out exanax i hatched mm-hmm. out uh double head exanic granites and mm-hmm. you know the double heads, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess you could say that maybe they look exanic. I think with with uh, poplin carpets or IJ whatever, I think it's probably easier to tell because of the fact that they hatch out red. So you know, right?
2: They, it Which like ones you look can, different?
1: you know what I mean? It looks different. So, mm-hmm. um, but clearly there's a difference between the exanic and the head exanics that I so I have pos head exanics and. Xanax, but like you know hey man at carpet fest we can look through it and you know people can can judge it but i just I, it, what bothers me is just like people that weigh in and they've never produced an exanic in their life and they think just because they have a jag exanic or jag head exanic that all of a sudden they become some kind of expert on it you know what i mean right
2: well the yeah. problem is you're also looking at one animal you know it's and I, I think I brought up a story last night on the podcast about uh, markers and granite, and now everybody, and you know their brother, thought they had a marker on their IJ that would prove yes. that they say had granite. But, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is, none of this stuff either. None of this stuff either. A panned out, and he wouldn't or, tell you. <laughs> and exactly, I'm like, no, I'm not going to say. Well, why not? Because then you'll right. take it. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. So, yeah, man. And that's just where it goes with it. So, you know, obviously, somebody who, like Paul or Nick, who has produced so many exanics, can say, well, you know, I, I don't know about the genetics things of it, but I can tell you that pretty much every single one that I have grown up into an exam- like and that pro- has proven to be an exanic, they look like this when they're babies. Cool. Yeah. I want to know that. That's going to be very helpful, you know, right. as opposed to anything else. But, you know this whole shit about incomplete dominant, this, that, and the other thing. It's like I, I just want to try to get to the meat and potatoes of it. And what do we tell people that we're going to sell these babies to? in, in every Selvauma situation, like I, so I want to know.
1: The, yeah, here's the problem with that. What's going to happen mm-hmm. is this is going to be yet another thing that splits up the community because you're going to have a group that says they're het, and you're going to have a group that says that they're, you know. You know, you have an exanic and you have a super exanic You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, and I, I get it. I don't know how I'm going to sell them. I don't, I don't know.
2: I, it, it's, it, I don't. It's really, well, that's the thing is that, you know, I've already bought into this project. And I bought into this project when everything was just deemed as a head. So mm-hmm. I have a caramel head exanic And I have two, I'm sorry, and I have three Xanax and one exanic Jag. So, and I also produced caramel head Exanics last year because i bred my Exanic to my caramel so now i'm keeping those two caramel head Exanics, but i have a whole clutch that's going to hatch uh by the end of june what the hell do i call these things i've been yeah. going on the basis that they would be the head Exanics. so and also what the hell does that mean for next year when i breed that caramel head Exanic to an Exanic jag what the hell is that going to mean i got nothing <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. But I guess I guess the thing that I would just say to people is like, you know, whatever, you know, there's been quite a few doing this podcast and no one will tell you there's there's so many people that, you know, want to start shit with us or whatever. And they and, you know, Mm I just message it all behind the scenes, man. You never ever see that stuff out in public. You never do. If I have a problem with somebody or a beef with somebody, I'm going right to the person and I'm messaging them. I'm not going on my podcast or my YouTube channel or whatever and like, you know, just like just blasting them. And I don't know,
2: man. Maybe I'm just different. I don't
0: know. I'm just an old. Old oh, man. I yeah, guess. you're just the
2: old, short, a <laughs> hole guy who's yeah. just all in line. But anyway, yeah. um but the problem is, is that, and that I think is the mature way of handling it. I mean, there have been a few times where people bring to our attention that we've been put on blast at something else like that, and we tell them, please don't respond. You know, we're aware of it and we're handling it. And then we handle it all behind closed doors because I. We don't I don't we don't need public fights. Yeah, I just think that that, that, that. some
1: people and, and, you know, I'm convinced that a few people that that's happened to us with did it because they were trying to elicit drama. I I just really honestly 100 percent believe that we wouldn't, uh, you know, it's just a matter of not stooping to that level. You know what I mean? It's just like, come on, man. If you got a beef with me, just send me a message on Facebook, you know, or send me an email or whatever and we we can talk about it.
2: Exactly. You said that after the end of every episode, we always give out our contact information. And if we've said something stupid, you can go ahead and send us an email at info at moreliapythonradio.com.
1: I'll be the first one to say, man, you know, over the years, you can listen to the shows and you can see how our opinions have changed by talking to people. Yeah, of course. You know, and that's what it's about. You know, it's like somebody, you know, convinced me. You have to have an open mind. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Just be open minded when somebody's talking to you about whatever, like tonight we're going to be talking to David and we're going to be talking about rain chambers. You're going to have some people that say, I ah, don't need to do that. That's extra work that you don't need to do. We keep snakes because we want them to be lazy. If I wanted to do blah, 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 I would keep monitors and, but you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, but I digress. <laughs> gotcha.
0: uh,
1: yeah. I guess, uh, you know, uh, real quick, uh, mm. I did hatch out. Um, they're actually pipping as we speak is, uh, Citrus Tiger caramel carpets.
2: So. Now those I have been waiting for because I want to see how the citrus what they look like? affects the caramel. Yes. Yeah. Because caramel has always been like the red to kind of like this goldenish kind of caramel color. I mm-hmm. want to see what your crazy grapefruit grapefruit snakes get in there <laughs> with the color, because you know I have uh, one of your citrus tiger het albinos. And not only is the black really clean and it brings out the contrast of the orange, but there are also these like other weird little colors just here and there um, that I kind of would want to see how a Carmel's take on that is.
1: Yeah, it will be cool for sure. No doubt. So, all
2: right. uh,
1: Enough of us rambling. Let's, let me, uh, let's get David on here and get this going. Uh, Let's see. All right. Hey, David, welcome back to Morelli Python radio. Glad to have you. How you doing, man?
3: Thanks, guys. How are you? Yeah, we're doing all right. (laughs) Can you you hear me okay? Yep. I can hear you fine. Okay, perfect. Just wanted to make sure. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So I guess we're just going to jump right into it. I mean, you've been on the show before. We we talked to you in the past, so we're not going to go through how did you get your start in reptiles and all that. We'll just jump (laughs) right into the topic. So you had posted up in the MVF uh, an awesome post um, that – had to do with rain chambers and, you know, I've always been fascinated by that. And I always, you know, thought that maybe that was something I, I mean, if you look at some of the the places in Indonesia, the temperature really doesn't change or anything like that. And I don't think you did it for this reason, but, you know, I often thought that maybe that's what would elicit breeding in some of the species that are more difficult to breed, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So what made you do it? Maybe you talk about your setup and you know, we'll just we'll just go through it that way and you know, some of the positive benefits that you've had from from doing it.
3: Yeah, sure. Um so to start out, uh the way I, I like to keep my collection or the philosophy that I follow is um, you know, I guess you would call it like the, the Dave and Tracy Barker or the Terry Phillip uh philosophy where um you know they, they like to keep everything at an ambient temperature, usually in the right. low eighties. And, um, you know, and that way, you know, for me, I, did, I went that route because um, obviously those people are very successful at what they're doing. And, um, you know, it, it's good to, to follow in the footsteps of people who uh, have been able to figure some of this stuff out. And um, I figured it would save me a lot of headaches if I just kind of emulate what they're doing. And, um, and also, you know, it's easier, right? I don't have to buy a bunch of separate radiate heat panels and and worry about individual cages. I can just monitor one single room and, uh, keep my collection that way. And, um, and I I should preface all of this by saying that, you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat, right? And Mm -hmm. there are, um, lots of people who have been very successful at breeding and keeping chondros by not doing any of these things that I'm talking about, and, right. um, the, the reason why I'm bringing it up is that, um, I, I don't think we have everything figured out and I don't think we have it all dialed in hundred percent. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that, you know, in some regards, we may be doing these animals a bit of a disservice, uh, it, mainly because we're trying to, um, prevent some of the historic mistakes that people have made in terms of husbandry. Right. So that mm. I think everybody's very paranoid about their animals getting respiratory infections. Um, you know, I would say that's probably the, the primary driver for why um, I started out with, with I'll call it the Terry Philip method. I don't think he likes it when people call it that, but um, <laughs> I, I went that route because uh, I, I wanted to avoid RIs. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it works great. The animals do very well. Um, you know, they, they grow, they breed, you know, they, they do everything. But I did notice that, uh, over time, um, there's been a very repeatable thing going on, uh, within my collection, primarily the females and anybody who's had, you know, chondros for a while and has more than just a couple of them, we'll end up having this issue where uh, females in particular, for whatever reason, when they mature, um, do not like to uh, go to the bathroom very often. And mm-hmm. when I say not very often, my animals will go months without uh, having a movement. And um, and I, I always thought that that was really odd. And I, I had a hard time believing that that's what's going on in the wild with those guys. It just doesn't seem like a very, uh, uh you know strategic way of going about things for them mm-hmm. and um, and I tried all the classical things that people would do to get them to go you know some people say oh you just need to exercise them um, and you know I, I actually I tried that numerous occasions and it hardly ever works for me some people say it works every time i, I just never experienced that um, and then uh, soaking is another method uh you know you just put them in a couple inches of water and you leave them in there and And I would have a bit more success with that, um, but I would have to leave them in there for an hour or two at least. And even then, you know, maybe, you know, 30 to 50% of the time the females would would go to the bathroom using that method. Um, And uh, so I just figured, you know, something's off, something's not right. And uh, so try not to jump around a little bit, but, Mm-hmm. the The whole aspect of spraying is a controversial topic in the hobby. Mm-hmm. And right, right. I, I listened to another podcast recently uh, with um, Steve Volk. I think it was on uh, Corralis Radio. And, uh, you know, obviously he keeps emeralds and was talking about how much he really relies on his rain chamber for the husbandry of those snakes, which aren't too dissimilar from green tree pythons. And... Right. um so I got thinking about it and, and I was like, you know, he might be onto something. Obviously he's onto something because he, you know, was talking about how uh, it's probably the most useful tool in his arsenal. And uh, mm-hmm. so uh, if you think about what most people do when they spray their animals, they go in and they hit them with a sprayer for a couple seconds and that's it. And uh, they probably do it on a daily basis or every other day. And to me, you're not really giving them the same stimulation that a rain shower would give them by doing that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, I, I got thinking about it and I was like, you know, I should probably try a rain chamber set up on my animals to see if I get a better response than what I've been getting, uh, with, um, you know, uh, exercise or soaking and that sort of stuff. So I set up a rain chamber and, um, you know, the first female I put in there hadn't gone, In about two months and the uh, the rain you know or the mist was hitting her and I would say probably less than 10 minutes she had a movement which Hmm. uh, I typically did not see and I I thought was kind of interesting and uh, so I I started doing it more and more with all the females in my collection and uh, almost every single one of them as long as they've had a couple meals in them uh, since the last time they've been in the rain chamber will, will defecate within that first 10 minutes. Um, It's, it's a very different reaction than what I've noticed uh, through any of the other methods that I've tried. And it just got me thinking that, you know, these animals um, have evolved for God knows how many years in a rainforest and they're, they are used to getting rained on probably almost on a daily basis and it just seems to me that the feeling of rain hitting their body is acting more as a stimulus to get them to go. And I, I don't know why that would be. Um, you know, there's a couple thoughts that we had bouncing around on that, that Facebook post that I put up. Um, you know, I it could be one of the things where um, you know, I don't know if you guys have noticed when these things go they also expel a lot of water when they go to the bathroom. Right. And, um, I wonder, you know, if it's during the drier season that, um, you know, they're less apt to let all of that go, um, or it's, you know, somebody even postulated that, you know, it could be that if it's raining heavy and they go, uh, then there's going to be less of a scent trail or anything for a predator to be able to find them. They just feel more secure going that during that time. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I noticed that, you know, um, Probably, uh, you know, if I were to actually do a, a, an actual uh, design study on these guys and, and do, you know, repetitions of soaking versus spraying, I, based on my own anecdotal observations that spraying is going to elicit uh, a defecation response nine times out of ten, whereas any of these other methods are going to be less than, you know, 40 or 30 percent. So I think there's something going on there.
2: I I would kind of agree with that, where it seems like there's a lot of benefits to a rainstorm. It's almost like we know these guys definitely pay attention to the weather and they definitely act differently in the weather because what's the thing of uh, when you're breeding, wait for a a cold front or a storm to come through and that's when you pair everybody up because you know that's when they're going to be active and moving and breeding. So it would make kind of sense that if there's a giant rainstorm, that's when they'll start doing stuff. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that maybe the issue with prolapse is the fact that they become dehydrated and, you know, uh, when they go to, you know, have a mm. bowel movement, it, you know, it makes it difficult straining, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe the rain chamber would alleviate that. Do you have any thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, I,
3: I would say most certainly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had one animal before I, you know, uh, last year I had an animal who had a very minor prolapse. And um, and I think she definitely was not getting as much water as she should be. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm very, um, you know, I try to be Johnny on the spot with the water. I, I use deli cups so I can swap them out on a weekly basis mm-hmm. so they never have, you know, uh, dirty dishes that they'll avoid. And mm-hmm. I try to at least twice a week, give them fresh water. And even doing, you know, all of that, I still experienced a prolapse. And, um, it, I think it definitely has something to do with, uh, when you've, you've got a large bowel sitting in there and you don't have enough water in the system to act as a lubricant to get it through. Um, mm-hmm. you, you put a lot of strain on, on that animal, uh, when they try to go. And so I, I think there's definitely something going on there without a doubt.
1: Hmm. All right. So I guess maybe the question I would ask is like, so what's your feeding regimen as far as uh, are you feeding smaller meals, big meals? How often? I'm just curious to try to get an idea.
3: I, I typically feed smaller meals. I use, um, adult mice, uh, for uh, most of my adults. And, uh, right now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm gearing up for, uh, a fasting, uh, on these guys. So mm-hmm. I've been, I've been hitting them a little more heavily now just to, because I know I'm not going to feed them for a good three to four months coming up here pretty soon. Um,
0: okay. so
3: I've been giving the, the females weekly feedings, uh, right now of an adult mm-hmm. mouse. Um, and then what I've been doing is, um, so, you know, what I would notice is I would feed these guys, right? And they wouldn't go. And mm. I would I would potentially, um, sometimes what I would do is I would go for really long periods of time of not feeding them to see if mm. that would get them to go because it would, it would elicit them to want to hunt and move around. And you would think that that would give them a stimulus to go. And, and that seemed to never work for me. Uh, matter of fact, the, the only thing that seemed like it would work occasionally would be when the females finally go into a shed cycle. And... Mm when they shed, they would go. And that would be about the only time that they would go. Um, so now what I'm doing, I, one major problem with these females too, is is when you start hitting them with the food and they're not going, that stuff's building up. And the mm-hmm. females oftentimes will develop this tail hanging um, mm-hmm. scenario, right. which right. Uh, obviously is not a natural thing for them. Um, and, What really elicited this whole rain chamber thing for me is I had a female that's actually very much on the smaller side. I would say she's probably, you know, 600 grams, somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. Um, And even with and I was doing very infrequent feedings on her uh, up until this point, I would say every two to three weeks, maybe uh, she would get a meal um she even started to do a tail hang it was the first one that i had in my collection that started to do it and and i was like this isn't right something something's not right with uh, Mm -hmm. the way i'm doing things and uh so you know now that i've been doing the rain chamber what i plan on doing is when i'm actively feeding them i'm going to get two meals in them and then i'm going to do a rain chamber session And, uh, so far it's been working great. Every time, uh, I do it, they go and I don't have any tail hanging and they're all perched up, you know, nice and neat. And, uh, they look a lot more comfortable that way. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's a much more natural way for them to be rather than, than carrying that heavy load all the time that puts a lot of, uh, excess stress on their spine, uh, and on their lower half, um, And I don't know. I just think that, you know, if these guys are are programmed to receive this on a daily basis in the wild, um, I think it's worth looking into what we could do in captivity to, to give them something similar, but also not um, set them up for failure as well. And that's the other thing I wanted to touch on was, um, you know, I don't want to advocate people go and, and, you know, soak their animals down on a daily basis Right. uh, in, within their own enclosure. Uh, the way I'm doing it right now is I have a separate rain chamber where if I feel a female is ready, I will take her out of a regular enclosure and I'll put her in the rain chamber and I'll do a session. And then when she's done, she goes back into a regular enclosure where it's dry. Um, so there really isn't an opportunity for, uh, you know, a heavy bacterial load to build up or anything like that, where they could potentially get, uh, into into any trouble as far as getting respiratory infections, things like that.
2: Right. So they're not sitting in a wet cage after you've just hosed it down.
3: Yeah, exactly. But I, you know, I, I have to be honest too. It has me Mm -hmm. really thinking about my overall husbandry strategy with these guys. Um, You know, Greg Stevens, I don't know if you guys know uh, him. He's not active in the uh, the forums or online very much when I can see anymore, but he uh, mm-hmm. was very much a, a proponent of of hitting his animals with rain, and he had his his enclosure set up very specifically to be able to dump uh, a large amount of water on them any time that he wants, but also they have the, it dry out within a couple were, hours.
2: Were they the acrylic ones that like kind of were plumbed and you could like flush them and stuff like that? I guess, or am yeah, I about somebody yeah. else? Yeah, yeah, I think we've had him no, on. No, that's it. Yeah, I think we had him on yeah, to talk think he about. Yeah, it early that on. Yeah. I don't yep. know, we've been doing this for too long. <laughs> anyway, but um
3: <laughs>
2: the uh but it almost seems like the, the, these animals you know, you might you might be able to get by and keep the animals to live long and happy lives and breed without this, but this is kind of like a way to make your life a little bit easier almost to, to get them to, you know, poop and do everything else they need to do
3: naturally. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm almost yeah. looking at it like, yeah, you you can maintain them without doing this, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, could you possibly improve their lives even more than what we're doing uh, right. as long as you do it in a responsible way? And I think a rain chamber is a good, like, uh, happy medium or, or a good solution to uh, giving them that stimulus on a regular basis but also not subjecting them to the potential health hazards of, you know, Uh, soaking their cages down on a daily basis.
2: Right so um, I know I've seen a few places they have these like misting systems almost like what you would see I don't know if I'm going to date myself now like at the supermarket that like sprays water down on the vegetables like on a timer or something like that. Yeah. that They almost have those going on in certain cages so you wouldn't advocate any kind of a misting system uh, to just totally douse the cage whenever you felt like it.
3: I I think it's possible. I mean, Greg did it, and Mm -hmm. what I've been thinking of doing is setting up a a similar situation uh, in in my room. The the whole thought would be that you would have everything plumbed and ready to go, Mm -hmm. and then if you you wanted to give them regular intervals of rain, you could do it easily, but you want to also be able to drain the water out of the enclosure almost as quickly as it's going in, Right. and have enough air circulation and things going on in the room so that the cage is not wet on a continuous basis all day long um and and i think it's certainly doable it's it's easy enough to do you just need to to engineer your room to be able to function that way and yeah. um so that's one of the things i'm currently looking at and i think what's important to for people to realize too that if you're going to uh, attempt to do a rain chamber thing, and I was touching on this earlier, it's not as mm-hmm. simple as just giving them a quick spray. You want to be able to set them up and be able to hit them with a mist or a rain for tens of minutes, if not an hour, uh, if possible. And the way I, I have my chamber set up right now, it's a simple uh, polycarbonate cambro box. It's the largest one they make. I think it's like 26 inches. Um, mm-hmm. and what I do is I, I, take the female out of her enclosure. Uh, I set her up in the rain chamber and I use a, uh, a mist King, uh, misting system, um, that's hooked up to a five gallon pail and I'll use water that's 82 degrees and I'll set her in there on a uh, removable perch and I'll just let the, the water hit her until she goes, uh, and, and what happens is the water just pools up in the bottom of the uh, the tub, and uh, usually, you know, by the time they go, there's only about an inch or two water uh, in the bottom there, and they're elevated on a perch, so they're not they're not soaking in the the water that gets soiled, um, and I'm also not recirculating that water at all. So I'm, I'm pulling fresh water from a bucket and pumping mm-hmm. it in through the Misking nozzles. And then that's it. And once she goes, she goes back into her main enclosure. And then I, I thoroughly clean the, the rain chamber out, disinfect it, and dry it out, and, you know, so it's ready for the next time I want to use it.
2: How many times do you find that you can use the rain chamber in a day before you're like, ah, it's enough, it's getting a little too, or do you only try to use it once a day?
3: I I don't even use it that often. So what I'll mm. do is about every couple of weeks, Um, Mm -hmm. I will, whatever females have had a few meals in them, I'll cycle them through and it, it, you know, I can get, you know, everybody done, you know, uh, within an hour or so, because they do go to the bathroom so quickly. Uh, I haven't had the need to, to keep them in there for any great length of time. So it's not, it's not terribly, um, time consuming or, or frustrating to use. It's actually quite easy. And just the fact that I know that I can predictably get them to go, uh, I think it's well worth it to me rather than having sitting there in their enclosure for months on end, not going and me wondering what the hell is going on, you know? Right. Very cool. Um, do you, is there any concern about the
2: temperature of the water when it comes to that kind of stuff, whether it be cold, warm? I mean, are you, uh, obviously you don't want to like shock the animal, like off the perch or something like that with some cold ass water, but, uh, Have you given any thought to that kind of stuff?
3: Yeah. um, So that's why I I try and set the water up. I'll temp gun it and make sure it's Mm. at the same temperature as the room temperature and uh, which is 82 and uh, I'll I'll run them in there until they're done. Um, I'm not at all concerned about the water temperature being uh, too low. Really. I'd be more concerned about it being too hot Um, and you know, Anywhere upper 70s, low 80s, water temperature is going to be safe. And I, I think a lot of people are really paranoid about hitting their animals with water and, mm-hmm. you know, the whole evaporative cooling. Um, they're afraid they're going to get an RI from, you know, uh, water exposure like that. And, and I, I think that's being overly paranoid because uh, you got to figure you're only doing this every once in a while if they were experiencing this daily and hours on end i think you might have a reason for concern but when you're only doing a session every couple of weeks um that's that's nothing to them and uh, i think really the you only get positives from it and i haven't really seen any negatives as of yet
2: okay So um, I guess the other thing is I know we talked with I think it was Ron about like a dew cycle that how that would affect some animals um, to be more active and more mobile because the the, I guess the dew was out and they were drinking that and checking that out. Um, Do you think you'd get the same effect that you're getting with the rain chambers if uh, you had some sort of, I don't know, misting kind of dew cycle for them to kind of slide through or you think it's the actual rain hitting their bodies is what gets them kind of rolling up and moving?
3: I, I think, you know, they, they would potentially benefit from the same thing that he was talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: but I, I think, you know, for these guys, what I'm seeing is it's the, the feeling of those water droplets hitting their body and the movement of the water rolling off of their scales, that sort of thing. Um, seems to be more of a stimulant to them uh, than, I think, just having a fog uh, going into the enclosure. Um, I, I, I think there's more benefit from the actual feeling of being showered on uh, to elicit this response. Um, you know, the other thing I've noticed, too, in these animals, you know, I mentioned before, I, I really try to make sure that they have fresh water, clean water all the time, Uh, and when I put them in the the rain chamber, uh, some of these guys will actively drink for very long periods while they're in there, uh, in the middle of the day when I'm doing it. Um, so, you know, there's something going on there. You know, it's more, I think it's more than just, um, you know, some people are saying, well, isn't it just them being active when they're in the rain chamber? That's what's making them go. And, and, uh, or you're moving them from one enclosure to the other and, And I would say, no, that's not the case, because the experience I had with any of the other methods, you know, I I just was not that successful uh, or as successful as I am with this current method. And then also seeing the other behavior that they're showing when they go in there. It's like I I figured my animals were were perfectly hydrated because of the way I'm doing it. But uh, when they're experiencing this, um, they're taking advantage of it when, when the water's hitting them. Um, so I'm starting to think that, you know, this needs to be something that I incorporate more, uh, into my husbandry regime. And that's why I'm currently looking at the way I'm doing this. I I do it every couple of weeks now, but uh, I may evolve and move more towards, uh, something like what Greg Stevens was doing. As long as you can, uh, allow them to completely dry out and warm up in a short period of time, um, you know, for me, what I'm thinking is if I set up the enclosures to be able to, to rain on them and drain the water out, even if I did that once a week uh, for an hour or two would be better than the way I'm currently doing it, um, mm. just based on the behavior that I'm seeing right now.
1: Have you seen any um, health benefits, uh, the, the the animals look, um, you know, anything that would tell you that they look Uh, healthier or hydrated
3: yeah i I would say the main thing is that you know these females are are able to perch properly uh and not have um you know uh a massive fecal load in their hindquarters that's causing them to to want to rest their their lower end on the floor of the cage and have the rest of it up on the perch um you know that that's the main thing that i'm seeing um you know that, that's the thing with with chondros. they're they're not often uh, very good at showing you when they're not feeling great And, right. um, you know to look at my animals, I would have assumed that you know they look perfect in terms of you know they're they're drinking. I see them drink uh, right. periodically they don't they don't look dehydrated. The only thing I noticed was that they're not going very often and you know this female was starting to hang her tail. And now that I've, I've started this, and plus I, I've changed another aspect of my husband, husbandry as well. We can talk about that um, in terms of the perching options that you give them. Um, right. You know, I, I'm seeing that, you know, she, um, it, it seems healthier just because now she, she's able to perch more naturally. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're not carrying this around for, for great lengths of time. I think those are enough for me to say that this is worth doing.
1: Absolutely. Now, is it only females that you do this with or?
3: Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting thing. Um, right now I'm only doing it with the females. Males, these, these snakes are kind of funny. The males, for whatever reason, as adults have no problem going more often. Uh, all of my adult males will go on a very regular basis. And I, I don't know why uh, I, I could guess And say that on average The males are less sedentary Than the females are um, They will certainly Move around their cages more Than the females will on any given night And maybe that's enough For them to to get things going Whereas the females Will spend days and weeks uh, Sometimes in the same position um, And huh. you know that could be one explanation as to why they're different that way, but it's very common. I think if you talk to, you know, a lot of chondro people that they'd probably say the same thing that, you know, it's, it's very common for their females to hold on and, and their males less. So they'll, they'll go more often. So I haven't really had the the need to put them in the rain chamber. Um, Uh But, you know, if you start thinking about breeding and things like that, you know, I was, I was researching the, the weather cycles and stuff and, in Indonesia today. And, and, you know, you, you look at all the major parameters, um, you know, you got daily temps, nighttime temps, um, the amount of sunshine on a given day, uh, daylight hours, all of those things are very constant, almost static throughout the entire year. But the, the two things that dramatically change are the precipitation cycles. Um, so the amount of rain that they'll receive within a given day Uh, and also the number of days within the month that it's actively raining, uh, goes up and down as the year goes on. Um, Hmm. basically from November through March, uh, April timeframe are the wettest months of the year. And then it tapers off and drops down. And, you know, if you start thinking about what's actually getting these animals to breed, um, I would imagine they're probably in sync with that rain cycle. And, you know, there's going to be a larger influx of food that, you know, gives the, the, the females the, the sustenance that they need to, to produce eggs. And I would imagine, you know, uh, hitting them with, with rain uh, on a regular basis, uh, along with the males, would probably be a good stimulant for them to, to get more into breeding uh, potentially. Uh, than how we currently do it. Um, so, you know, it's just a thought, and it's another reason why I'm thinking about, re- you know, reexamining the way I have my room set up so that I could do something like that in the near future where, you know, uh, I fast them for about three to four months and then start hitting the, the enclosures with uh, a steady rain on a regular basis and an increased food supply and see if that... Uh, gets me a more predictable uh, breeding cycle going.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Now, would you introduce the pears in the rain chamber, or you would just put, when you put the pears together after you pulled them out?
3: No, what I'm thinking is if I were to set up where I had the ability to actually rain in the enclosure, but the enclosure is set up so that it actually drains out,
2: um, gotcha. That
3: that would be the way that I would do it. Yeah.
2: Okay. Would Very you cool. continue the rain chamber? Like, say you paired up a male and a female. Would you continue to pull the female and use the rain chamber with her, and then put her back in with the boy?
3: Yeah, I don't I don't see why not.
2: Um, yeah, well, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. I, I I haven't noticed any negative effects from from pulling them and and putting them in that rain chamber they they go right in they react to it positively from what i've seen and then go right back to the normal business when you put them back um you know it hasn't seemed to be very stressful at all
1: now what kind of flow of water are we talking about is it like a little heavier than a misting is it
2: i mean you're not like full-on into you know. fire hose. You just blast it right <laughs> in. No. Yeah. and yeah. Knocks them off. Yeah. No, dude. Right. No, really knocks them right off the
1: perch.
0: Yeah.
2: Off I'm the just first. trying to get yeah. Yeah. close enough.
1: Yeah. for, uh, you know, no wonder they're shitting. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now they're shitting at the Turn side of the hose. Right oh, yeah, one, dear. God. God. Uh, yeah. All right. Um. <laughs> No, it, I think, you know, there's there's room for experimentation there. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's another thing that Steve Volk had touched on. Apparently, he had experimented with a lot of different nozzles. And and he's using something different than what I'm using. Um, the Mist King no- nozzles put out a very fine mist. And okay. that may not be the, the best method for doing this. It's what I, I had available at the time, and it's working. So I, I haven't uh-huh. changed it yet. Um, he felt that uh, the fine mist on his emeralds uh, was acting more as an irritant to their, their heat pits. Um, ah. He just felt that they were a little more uncomfortable with a fine mist. And he said what he stumbled on were the um, these old school brass nozzles that you can get at like Home Depot that you would put on a regular hose um, where you can just screw the, the nozzle up and down to adjust your, your flow rate. And he was saying that you know, he gets a, a, a larger rain droplet that's coming out of there and saw a better response with his emeralds. Now, uh, what I've noticed with the mistking system with the green tree pythons, I have not noticed them being uh, overly upset uh, by the fine mist hitting them. And it could mm-hmm. be because you know their their heat pits are just different, and they're not as sensitive to it. I don't know i I just haven't seen that my animals are are particularly stressed out by by that. The other thing that happens too is i I have the polycarbonate lid on the rain chamber,
0: mm-hmm. and these
3: Miss King nozzles are spraying everywhere, and a lot of that is collecting up on the lid and forming larger droplets, which then drop down on the animals as well um, gotcha so you know it it works the misking system works just fine for night from what I've seen, but you know if I were to experiment, I think it would be really cool to do something like what Steve was doing or try some other nozzles and see if you get uh any different behavior out of them um you know they they may respond even better to it, who knows mhm hmm.
1: I wonder too like uh I mean so are they when you put them in there, maybe you already hit on this, but um, are they moving around like constantly or are they, you know, do they move around when they first get in there and then they kind of chill out and perch or what observations? Yeah, you they,
3: they'll do both. Yeah. Oh, they'll okay. do both. Um, oftentimes what happens is I'll, I'll put them in and, and what I've observed is the, the female, she'll start moving around and instantly you can tell she's getting ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. And what will happen is she'll go and if I'm not in the room um, with her and, and I allow it to, to continue raining after she's already gone, um, she'll just perch up and completely get into a normal perched coil and remain there, uh, not moving until I, I decide to take her back out. So, um, you know, they don't seem like they're particularly uncomfortable with the rain hitting them. Um, you know, they, they seem quite content, actually. Yeah, I mean, that's
1: kind of what they do in the wild, at least, you know.
3: Yeah. That's yeah. what
1: we think, you know. And I think, didn't uh, yep. Dan comment on the, um, Dan uh, from DM Exotics comment about, you know, condors that he's observed in the wild out in the open where it's raining and, you know, they're just kind of like sitting there waiting for something to come by. Yeah, he,
3: he did. <laughs> I think somebody mentioned they were wondering if, you know, because the forest canopy is so thick that... Um, right they were perhaps a bit skeptical that they were getting rained on as much as we think. And, uh, Dan was mentioning that when he was there, um, you know, these animals are on the move at night and completely, you know, out in the open, not under cover, and getting doused with rain. Um, so it's definitely something that they're experiencing, uh, on a very regular basis while they're out there.
1: Cool. Yeah, I wonder uh,
3: if, like, uh,
1: you know, I'm just thinking of uh, the skin of chondros and white lip pythons and thinking, like, yeah. you know, oh, and then maybe this is, like, something that would, uh, maybe it would get rid of the hair brawl situation with white Maybe,
2: <laughs> and I'm also thinking more along the lines of the fine skin of, like, baby scrubs and stuff like that. Is this something that would help them... Because I mean they're just so damn fragile when they come through, and if a baby scrub gets dehydrated or a baby white lip gets dehydrated, that's like death. So uh, I mean, would this be something that would aid them in the long run? So I don't know. So it's cool to think about. Yeah. So you do? Would you do this with young? I
1: mean, what's the age that? I mean, mostly you're doing it with adults. Would you do it with any neos or tubies?
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm only doing it with adults right now, but honestly, I think if you were set up properly, it, you could mm-hmm. do it with any age on these guys. I think what I, I I want to stress more is that uh, I don't want anybody going in and, and turning their enclosure into a swamp because it's just <laughs> going to lead to disaster. If you do that, Right. Um, you know, your animals are going to get, you're going to get skin blisters. You're going to potentially get respiratory infections. You're going to, have all kinds of issues. If you're not really thinking this through and being careful with how you do it. Um, You know, the safest way I think is the way I'm doing it right now is you have a separate enclosure that you can rain on them for a short period of time uh, and then put them back into their dry enclosure. Um, But if you were to get more complicated with it, you just need to make sure that uh, you don't have standing water uh, in that enclosure that's there for, for days on end. Um, And, potentially set them up for a scenario where things can get really funky. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I think people just need to be very cautious how they approach this kind of thing. Um, And I I have to admit, I'm not really a a proponent of spraying in the enclosure on a daily basis for for those reasons. I think, you know, it's an unnecessary risk. But if you were to engineer the enclosure to be able to handle a rain versus a spray, I think they're different. I think it's important that you differentiate those two things. Um, And to also set up the enclosure with enough ventilation and also have enough air movement within your room uh, to allow everything to dry out appropriately uh, so that you can avoid those scenarios. Um, You know, the way I, my my enclosures have um, wide uh, screen areas on the top so there's, there's lots of, of air movement and I've, I've got a very powerful fan in the room that's constantly churning the air. Um, so, you know, nothing can, can, um, you know, nothing would stay wet for very long is what I'm saying. Um, gotcha. So I, you know, I I think if you can, if you can engineer everything so that you can a- avoid those pitfalls, I think it would be beneficial. Uh, you just need to be careful how you do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um, another topic is you sort of hit on it a little bit, but, uh, that we wanted to hit on was perching. And, uh, I think you were talking about, uh, using like just straight pipes, you know, with uh large diameter versus, you know, other options. And what's your thoughts on that? And
3: yeah. Um, so that was another thing I, you have to wonder, I, I'm not sure how the hobby, uh, got to where it is now, where the, the vast majority of keepers are, keeping their animals on straight PVC pipes. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's driven primarily by cage manufacturers. It may be. Um, It's it's also very convenient, I think, for the keeper to have them set up that way. But um, I'm questioning whether or not that is the most beneficial for these guys. Um, You know, if you you look at – there aren't a lot of pictures online uh, of these animals – uh, out in the wild perched. Um, yeah. but I'm going to see if I can, I can post a picture up real quick. Cause there's a really good example that was on field herp forum, uh, that somebody got a, a picture of, um, I think of a green tree in Queensland, uh, perched up during the daytime and you can see what this adult is perched on. It's pretty striking. Um, if you give me one second, I'll, I'll pull it up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, um, and the other thing as I'm getting this picture, Uh, and I think a lot of people have experienced this who use radiant heat panels, um, that if you're not good at making sure the cord is not readily available, um, you'll oftentimes find that the the green trees will select that cord as their preferred perching site. So if you think about a, uh, uh, an adult green tree Python perching Mm -hmm. on you know, uh, an electrical cord that's tiny in comparison to uh, what we're currently using, which I think most cage manufacturers are using like one inch PVC or somewhere around there. Um, so, you know, I, I think there is, um, you know, more of a preference for them to select for smaller diameter perches. Um, and what I've noticed in my own collection is, um I have uh, an animal that um, is set up with – I use half-inch PVC in all my enclosures when I set them up originally. And I have um, uh, a female that uh, I raised her on one of the, the 3D-printed perches that, I, that I've created that has a um, – those perches only have about an 8-millimeter uh, diameter perch – and when I transitioned her from her juvenile enclosure into this adult, into the uh, adult enclosure, I, mm-hmm. I grabbed her on that perch and put it inside the enclosure, and I let her decide where she wants to go. And that was probably about a year and a half, two years ago. And she still continuously um, is perching on that smaller diameter perch, which is underneath everything else. So, um, you know, you would think that oftentimes they're going to go and select the highest point within the enclosure. And and I'm not seeing that 100% of the time if given smaller perch diameter options. Um, and the other thing that I've been doing too is I, I, I put these branch extensions onto the PVC pipe, which um, also have a, a much smaller diameter. So I think I've got two offshoots. One is like an eight millimeter and the other one's a six millimeter diameter. And, um, what I'm finding is every single one of these animals that I have set up where I'm using these, um, they will very often use that branch extension along with the, the, the PVC pipe and they'll drape themselves over all of it. Uh, instead of just being coiled up in the classic chondro perching, uh, set up and they seem like they they're much more comfortable distributing their weight across multiple surfaces versus just being on the one pipe and i i would think that um you know it, in the wild i can't imagine them being out in the open on a larger diameter branch uh coiled up like that when they have all these other options on any given day uh, I would think that they're changing that up on a very regular basis. And, um, and also, you know, when you look at these pictures that you can see online, the, these animals are perching on their, their twigs. Um, they're, they're very small. And um, there, was a, there was a recent post, uh, I think, uh, um, Eddie Appel uh, put it up where he had uh, a female that experienced a, a spinal issue And it caused a lot of other people to chime in as well uh, who have had a similar experience. And and I myself had it this year as well. I had a a female who was gravid, uh, looked perfectly normal. um, But then when it came time to lay, she had become paralyzed on like the lower third of her body um, Mm -hmm. and and couldn't, couldn't pass the eggs and passed away. And uh, she was set up in an enclosure that only had straight, you know, PVC pipe and all these other people that have had the same experience, I think are, are using a very similar setup where it's just, you know, horizontal PVC pipe and that's it. And I'm just wondering that, you know, we are potentially setting females up for a scenario where if you're not giving them options to change their perching position, um, it's, it's like, um, you know, where people would have, uh, you know, ailments that arise from constant repetition or bad ergonomics uh, where, um, you know, you can get arthritis or, or things like that because you're doing the same thing over and over again. And that's essentially right. what we're doing with these animals that are set up with just a couple PVC pipes. They're going to perch almost the exact same way every single day. And you're going to have stress points in these same areas on these animals every single day. And I would imagine some females don't hold up to that as well as others and and may end up, you know, having some, some health ailments because of that. And um, so I'm just thinking that, you know, it's probably beneficial to, to mix that up a bit. If you can, Um, you know, go put in some extremely uh, narrow perches in there along with what you already have. Uh, You can get acetyl rod and things like that that are less than a true half inch diameter And I think if you start using those, you'll find your animals will will actually use it. Uh, it, It'll be beneficial to them.
2: Um, Now, do you have any, I guess would this also qualify with naturalistic perches? Because I know I've seen uh, other chondro cages where it's almost like the perches you would find in a macaw cage. Because I I, I think that's something that's very, uh, I was told that with birds, if they have perches that are all the same diameter, it actually is very bad for their feet. So is this pretty much the same thing that we're talking about here? That chondros might need almost different diameter stuff just to remain healthy.
3: Yeah, I think it's potentially there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you just if you go off of common sense um, by giving them horizontal, you know, perches of the same diameter every day you're not even close to what they're experiencing in the wild. And I think if you can give any animal options, it's only going to be to their benefit. I don't see any negatives by, um, you know, putting in different diameter perches to at least give them the option to change it up if they want to. Um, But, you know, they're funny. They're, they're They're not the brightest animals sometimes as well. Um mm-hmm. You know, they will oftentimes go for the perch that's the highest in the enclosure, regardless of the size of it. So you want to make sure you're you're giving them adequate cover uh, i I like using uh, silk plants in all my enclosures uh, to give them some some cover up above, and I'll have all my perches down underneath that and give them the option of where they want to go uh while still potentially having the feeling of security of knowing that there's something up above them that will protect them from a bird or something else right okay
2: awesome
1: yeah i think uh i love you know just your uh just your 3D purchase are freaking awesome with the little cup man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, i love those
0: Oh, things.
3: thanks <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love I love them. They make I use them for uh baby scrub pythons and uh man, they they take advantage of all those different spots and you know, it's really, really, really cool. Yeah,
2: hey, thank you. Awesome. I mean with with the uh with the with the purchase with the cup holder in it, do you kind of feel like maybe uh more arboreal species kinda of like utilize the water bowl a little bit more, maybe even during the day, because it's right up there with them, as opposed to on the floor.
3: Yeah, I potentially. I mean, when you think about how you're you're setting up all these, these neonates, they're in a small enclosure anyway, so their proximity mm-hmm. to the water dish is is pretty darn close. Um, you know, the the one the major reason why I set the perch holder up, or at least gave the option to have a cup holder in it. Was I actually had a couple customers who who had inquired about it, and it was it was an easy enough thing to add um, and potentially what it does it makes it easier for the the keeper to swap out the deli cup because you don't have to lift the perch out to get underneath and and pull the deli cup. you you know as long as the animal isn't perched on it, you can mm-hmm. just reach in and and pull it you know from the top. Um, but you know honestly, by giving them the option to go and perch directly on the water dish, again, I think is only going to help them as long as they're right there and they have uh, easy access to fresh water. It's only going to be a benefit.
1: Yeah. Very cool. What, uh, so, you know, what else do you have in the works as far as, you know, some of the, I don't know, solutions uh, to keep in reptile innovative. Activity. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. I um well the the latest one is I, I was working and it took me quite a while to figure it out where these um magnetic perch holders uh for people who um they you know, John Battaglia actually uh had reached out to me because um he had a a very large female, I think it's over two thousand grams. Uh, mm-hmm. That he was going to set up in a um, in an exoterra setup and wanted the ability to to use these perch holders, but i I hadn't uh, designed anything that I could set up in a glass enclosure. Um, I had you know done some work with with Harlan to come up with a magnetic perch that uh, would work on tubs because you would have to drill or melt a couple um uh, small holes in the enclosure that would allow the placement for these little um studs that were were on the perch holder to keep the the perches from rotating on their axis and mm-hmm. um it, it works great for that scenario but obviously you can't do that in a glass enclosure um And not everybody wants to silicone the perch holder in place because it's, you know, semi-permanent when you do that. Mm -hmm. And so it it took me a while to kind of figure out how to uh, create something that would hold something as big as his female is, um, while also not allowing the perch holders to slide down the glass And more importantly, not allow the perch holder to rotate on its axis. And it took me a little while to figure out how to get around that. And I actually uh, was inspired a little bit. Uh, I used to keep uh, uh, some coral reef aquariums uh, a few years back. And there was a a manufacturer that came out with a, a circulating pump that uh, would sandwich the glass. So you would have the uh, the propeller side on the inside of the aquarium, and then you would have the electronics and the magnet side on the outside. And what they did was they used a friction pad uh, of a silicone material that they would use uh, to grip onto the glass, and that would keep everything in place. And so what I ended up doing uh, with this particular, um, perch holder was coming up with a, with a similar design where I use a friction, uh, rubbery material. It's actually the same stuff that you use to line, um, like cabinets or silverware drawers. It's this, drip, mm-hmm. this grippy, uh, net like material. Um, yeah. and so what I do is I, I sandwich that between the perch holder and the glass and, and, um, I, uh, Experimented with some different magnets and, and came up with some that, that work very well. They're very strong. And the combination of those two things together, um, I can suspend probably uh, about 20 pounds of weight, and that perch won't slide or move uh, down that enclosure wall. Um, so that, that one I was, I was pretty happy about, only because it took huh. me quite a while to figure out how to do this. And right. also feel comfortable uh, selling it and not worry that you know somebody's going to have some issues with it. Um, so that that's probably the latest thing that I came out with that I'm um, particularly uh, I'm happy with that design. That is Very kind cool. of cool
2: way to rethink it. I mean, other than uh, permanently uh, messing up a cage or something like that. That that's uh, that's awesome.
3: Yeah. And the other thing that I did on that, uh, cause John, he's one, he, he likes to use different, different size perches as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, so what I did was, um, I set it up. So it's, it's in components. So you've got a, a piece that's, uh, that'll hold the magnet that's on the inside of the enclosure. And then you have the actual perch holder itself that slides down onto that. So, you know, once you buy, um, a set, and you decide you want to swap out for different size perches, you only have to get the perch holder portion. You don't have to buy the entire thing. Uh, so it gives you the ability to slide off the, the old ones and slide on a new one, and you can mix it up really quick and easy. Um, you know, it's it's set up to be modular. Um, and That's I, cool. I think it'll be good to Stuff. give people that option. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I like that because then you can kind of tailor make it to uh, what fits you and your animal best. I mean, you know. If it prefers certain diameter perches or something like that, that's awesome. So.
3: Yep, yep. Yeah, and over time, you know, as the animals grow and you want to change it up a bit, you can do that uh,
2: easily. Cool. I like that kind of stuff, uh, the versatility kind of stuff that can be used for multiple things. So, yeah, awesome.
1: Yeah, cool stuff, man. Cool, cool stuff.
2: So, <clears throat> um
1: I don't know. Anything else uh, you got cooking? Uh, what was Let's the things you there. were working with today? Uh, what were they? Uh, oh, yeah. The, uh, the,
3: yeah. <laughs> the cool things that I want? Things. Yeah. Yeah. Those. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to bring those down, actually. uh oh, it, cool. that's something I can't wait. Yeah. I'm coming down <laughs> this weekend, so it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. But,
3: yeah, I, I plan on bringing them. <laughs> um, they're, they're called lithophanes, and what they are is um, you can take any photograph, And Mm -hmm. you convert it into a 3D file, and I can print them out on my 3D printer. And what it does is um, in the photograph where you have uh, dark shaded areas versus light shaded areas, it will lay down uh, different thicknesses of plastic. So where it's dark in the photograph, it will be thick plastic. Where it's light in the photograph, it will be thin. And, And what happens is if you get the thicknesses set just right, uh, when it's done and you look at it, it, it really doesn't look like much at all, but then when you, you take this 3D uh, print and you, you put a bright uh, light bulb behind it, uh, it'll shine through that plastic, and it gives this really interesting uh, 3D uh, effect to the photograph. It's, it's really kind of a neat thing. And uh, oh I was just, you know, trying to think of one other thing I could bring down to potentially for you guys to put in the auction. I thought this was something that, you know, some people might like to to get. Uh that So is far cool. I've done, <laughs> yeah, I've done, uh, like, a Bowens. I've done um, the uh, the Ruffy, uh, Jungle, oh, shoot. Diamond, <laughs> you know, a bunch of different stuff. So Cool. You, you
2: had me at Ruffy. I mean, at that point, <laughs> yeah. back, I'm, I'm on board for anything with the Ruffy, so – that's awesome, and they look, they look really yeah, got, cool.
3: Yeah, I got one with your name on it, Owen. I'll bring it down. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's awesome. So, and so that's, what's, and that's a cool thing to do with this. I mean, are you finding out that this – did you have this 3D printer? Or did you buy it for the exact purpose of messing around with Snake stuff? I mean, has this turned – in? This, this kind of
3: turned into a thing
2: for you with this 3D printer?
3: Yeah, it, it did. Um, I actually, I, I'm an engineer by profession, and yeah. um, I I bought a single printer a couple of years ago because I, w- I was always intrigued by it, and I wanted uh, to learn how to use it and, and play around with it. Uh, so it really just started out as just kind of a you know a curiosity thing, and and my son was interested in it as well. So you know we got one to, to tinker and fool around, and um, but then. Very quickly after I got it, I realized that it had some potential uses for my own uh, personal uh, snake collection by, you know, creating things that I needed for, for my own husbandry. And um, and so, you know, it just evolved from creating a, a couple items and putting a post up on Facebook. And, and I, it, you know, had a very strong response from people saying, hey, you know, I, I could really use those. Um, and it just, you know, gave me the idea that maybe I should start putting some of these up. And, and you know, historically, people have always struggled with how to mount their, their perches in the enclosure. And uh, typically what was used were those the closet rod uh, mm-hmm. holders. And they work, but there's, you know, they're white and they're usually way oversized uh, compared to the pipe that you're using. And um, then you have to figure out how to uh, attach the, the perch to it so that the perch doesn't rotate.
2: Right. And
3: uh, so I, I came up with a design on the 3d printer that uh, has a, um, I call it a key. So it's a, a, a bar of material that sticks out on one end of the, the uh, on one side of the perch holder assembly, where you put a notch in the PVC pipe. And then when it rests in the holder, that notch fits onto that key and then the uh, the pipe can't move. And uh, but what I really like about it is I can create these perch holders so that they fit uh, exactly to the pipe that you're using, uh, so they don't look like this big, oversized, you know, ugly thing in the enclosure. Uh, and then it also has the ability to print in uh, a multitude of different colors. So uh, I like my perches to be black, and you can get black PVC pipe online. Uh, you can order it, you know, directly from Home Depot, um, and I can then print my my perch holders in black as well, so that everything looks good aesthetically. Uh, it matches and it's sized appropriately, and I think it just looks cleaner. It looks nice, um, and, awesome. and so uh, I started doing that, and it, it's taken off from there. The response has been great. Um, it's been a lot of fun you know, dealing with all these people who have the same interests as I do. And, and, um, you know, it, it's a blast to be able to make these things and, and, and send it to them. And, and, uh, I'm amazed at, you know, um, you know, the response that I get on a regular basis from these people, it just, it makes me happy that they're happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that is, that is cool. Um,
3: and, uh, I, I've seen,
2: I think I've seen a few of the stuff that uh, Eric has from your stuff and, uh, they're very cool and they're very practical and definitely an awesome product. I just don't have any baby chondros, so um, uh, <laughs> you, you don't know, need I, chondros. <laughs> I don't need chondros. They scrubs, yeah. So they're very cool. Thanks.
3: Um, yeah, thanks. I appreciate
1: it. So I'm curious, what's going on with the collection, man? Have you, uh, since the last time we talked, have you added anything? You got anything, uh,
2: you know, cool or you know? I don't know. Moving into something yeah, else. No, yeah. anything?
3: no. I uh it's funny, you know, I, I have to say I, I should have said this at the very beginning. Uh you mm-hmm. know, I listen to your show on a very regular basis. So I just wanna say mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm thankful that you guys put this out on a regular basis. I uh I've got an hour commute to work and back every day and, and it's good to have this <laughs> to listen to. And right. uh and it's in, it's interesting, you know, listening to you guys and then all the various guests and in their opinions on on keeping and and the different approaches and and um and I know one of the things that uh, Eric you've talked about on numerous occasions is that you know you think it's very beneficial to keep a lot of different species and and I, I totally agree with that that um you know it, it definitely can open your your mind a little bit and and get you thinking about things differently when when you're you know, uh, you have to deal with things that have different requirements, and uh, but I, I ended up taking a, a different approach to it. I, I did have a more varied collection uh, about three or four years ago. I, I had a bunch of polybrids, I had uh, some uh, some IJs um, and the chondros. And the more I started dealing with the chondros, the more I really wanted to just put a heavy focus on those specifically and i i pared down on pretty much everything but the chondros um and and i'm devoting you know all of my my thoughts and, and energy on those right now to see if i can i can nail down uh how i'm keeping them and uh and you know future breeding with them as well uh i, I started my collection kind of the long way i purchased everything as babies. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, it takes a really long time to get these guys up to maturity. And, uh, so it's, it's been a long arduous journey and I'm finally at the point now where, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, can do, uh, breeding trials and things like that. And I I really wanted to put a heavy focus on that. And, uh, so I, I don't have a, a huge collection, um, and, uh, it's almost all, green tree pythons. Uh, I only have one IJ at the moment, uh, in the room aside from all the chondros. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's, that's where it's at right now. I'm putting a focus on those guys and, and that's where it's going to stay for a while. Cool. Um,
1: um, do you have a particular project that you're focused on? I mean,
3: uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I love the manaquari locality. And mm-hmm. so the, the the majority of my collection is, is Maniquari. Uh either pure locality or it's a nice. it's a cross between a Mani- Maniquari and some other uh northern mainland uh Azuria. It's they're not hybrids at all. Um, nice. so I, I'm trying to keep that uh along those lines. Um and you know I I will potentially add more to my collection but you know, red man Aquaris, uh, are mm-hmm. the ones that I particularly want and they don't pop up very often, at least not captive born. Um, you know, you do see them every once in a while as uh Bushmaster babies. Uh, and some of my collection is comprised of those. Um, but, you know, right now I, I think what I'm going to do is the animals that I have, I'm going to try and get some, some reproduction uh, out of them and, and uh, and then just look for more uh after that point.
2: So nice. you don't think there's a single animal in Eric's collection that you'll see on Thursday that or see on Saturday that will tempt you? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, you know, you are walking into that, so you know that's yeah, the thing.
3: I can't wait. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh
3: (laughs) so how's that gonna work eric i mean you're gonna have a you're gonna have a shit ton of people there are you gonna be doing like a a couple tours that day and then and uh close the doors or how do you plan on doing that (laughs) i don't know man last year i spent (laughs) literally
1: i spent literally the whole entire day just showing people snakes Which now, I don't care. you oh, no. fine with me.
2: But everybody else is well, kind of
1: bummed that they're like, where the hell you been, man? Like, well, oh. I have the
2: issue is that we need to make sure that the auction goes off before everyone gets hammered and I lose my voice screaming <laughs> at people. So, you know, we, we may have to suspend the touring for a little bit to get the auction done. And then you know i'll I'll throw Eric to the mob. you guys can have him, you know after that i mean i don't I don't need him anymore, <laughs> Thanks, so Owen. it's all good. you're welcome, yeah, so you know that's uh <laughs> fine, but uh hopefully we'll try to do it uh to a point where Eric's not spending his whole entire carpet fest in his snake room, but we'll see,
1: yeah, it's uh. I'm thinking I'm thinking. I'm probably going to do it from a time to a time, you know, and do, do something like that, you know, bring a certain yeah. amount of people, and it'll be just like uh, Disney World, you know.
2: <laughs> like, I'm uh, sorry, sir, you don't have the Fast Pass ticket, <laughs> and then I send them back over, yeah, yeah.
1: you know. Owen we'll, will be in charge of the Fast Pass lane. <laughs> I'll, I'll have
2: a, a nice little velvet rope set up in front of your room yep. and be like, I'm sorry, you're not on the list, and then they have to wait. Yeah, it'll all be fine. I think you're, you're part of group two. Yeah.
1: I think the thing that people will be most, uh, will like the most will probably be Sri Lankans.
2: I think. My money's on Pop and Pythons.
1: Yeah, they're too, they're a little
2: small, but yeah, they're, they're
1: freaking badass as well, you know, but. Thank you. For sure. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Should be cool. <laughs> um, Awesome. So are you breeding this upcoming season, uh, 2019 or is that your plans? Yeah. 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 I definitely will be.
3: So my, uh, yeah, I'm going to be, um, probably within the next month or so, I'm going to, uh, taper off on feeding and, uh, I'm going to let the, uh, the collection just kind of sit for about, uh, three or four months, um, and do a fast. Uh, and then after that point, um i'm going to start hitting them heavy with the food again and see if i can i can uh, get the breeding induced uh, that way um you
2: know i mean are you going to use the rain chambers that? are you going to use the rain chambers in any part of your i don't know trying to get them to breed i mean are you going to try to institute that with your almost like the food gets cut off and does the rain get cut off for a little bit too? And then kind of everything comes yeah. back at once.
3: Okay. Yeah. I think, you know, by default, that's what's going to happen because uh, you know, I'm going to get a few more feedings into these females. And mm-hmm. then uh, after a couple of weeks, they're going to get a rain chamber session to hopefully clear them out. And then they're going to go in for a fast. And because they're not going to be eating during that time frame, I'm not going to rain on them. Um, right. And then uh, when I kick the feedings back on, uh, my plan is to hit them uh, hot and heavy, uh, but with really small meals. Uh, and then while I'm doing that, I'll be instituting the rain chambers again. Um, and the only thing that's, gonna, that's unfortunate with this is I won't be able to decouple you know, what's having a, a big impact on them. Um, I would imagine it's probably a little bit of everything uh, is going to, you know, uh, kick them into breeding mode. Um, But, you know, by default, that's what's going to happen. They're going to get, you know, increased feeding uh, as well as rain chamber sessions. And, um, you know, that's what would happen in the wild as well, uh, most likely. Sure. You're going to get an influx of food during that time period, and you're also going to get a lot more rain. So. Um, I, I would imagine it's going to be, uh, beneficial. Cool. Very cool.
1: Awesome. Now, um, I'm curious, uh, do you, you know, cause you're sort of cycle feeding type of thing. Do you, have you done that all of their life or is this something new that you're starting this season for them? This
3: is going to be new this season. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Up until then, I was, you know, feeding on a fairly uh, regular basis. Um, And the way I I currently have my room set up is I allow the, uh, even though they don't experience this in the wild, they are going to be seeing a natural uh, uh, shift in daylight time as the year goes on. So uh, whether they experience it naturally or not, they're going to be getting it just because that's the way my room is. Um, you know, the sunlight uh, is going to decrease dramatically during the winter months up here. Um, so they're going to have shorter days during that time period, along with uh, increased uh, rain chamber sessions uh, and, and food availability. Um, so, you know, I would imagine it's it's got to be a recipe that'll work. Um, we'll find out for sure this upcoming winter. Cool.
1: Best of luck. I have... Uh, I have one more question about the uh, the whole ambient uh, temperature deal. Now, do you drop the temperature? Like, do you turn the heat off at night, or do you keep it a constant in that 78 to 82 all the time?
3: Yeah. No, I, well, there is a slight temperature drop at night. Um, okay. So during the day, yeah, during the day, they're about 82 degrees. And then uh-huh. nighttime, uh, the drop is down to about um, – 75 to 78 every night uh, and when you look at the you know the yearly temperature cycles for for that region of the world that's pretty much what's going on um, right you know, they um, you know it's mid 80s but that's most likely in the city um, but then uh, you know it drops down into the 70s in the evening and uh, so that's that's what I'm doing here as well
1: I think those cycles are important for for them Uh, You know, I don't I don't know. I I just think that, you know, everything in life is really based off of cycles and that going from, you know, daytime to nighttime where it's cooler. And I see my snakes like as soon as that heat goes off, they're all they're like out and ready to go, man. You know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Comfortable. You know, it seems like they're you know, that that's when they're they're cozy. They don't mind moving around when temperatures are are a little bit lower like that. Um, Right. They seem to definitely prefer it. I know one thing I want to ask you guys this is something that I'm currently looking at doing and I want to see if, if you guys have explored it at all um so i'm I'm very very close to pulling the trigger on getting an ultrasound uh so that i can I can actually see what's going on with the uh the follicles in these females um have you guys looked at doing anything like that
2: I would love to look into an ultrasound um mainly just because not only would it be Uh, something that I think would help me with my snakes. I think it would also help. I know I have friends who breed tortoises and also do monitors. So it's always something that I would want to kind of fiddle with, but I've never taken the plunge mainly because I keep spending any money that I would use on an ultrasound on more snakes. So it seems to be that's the damper here.
3: So yeah, but I think it would be (laughs) awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think... started researching them recently. Yeah, sorry, Eric. Um, no, no,
0: no. Go uh, ahead.
3: I was I was kind of surprised the price on them was not as high as I thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was expecting like three thousand dollars or something for an ultrasound machine, and um, Steve Tillis uh, showed me a, a link on eBay for one that he has, and um, you know you you can get them now for around a grand. And yeah. they it's a laptop version and they work perfectly well and from what I've heard. And uh to me, I mean that's that's a single snake purchase right there. So uh you know, if you at least in my mind, if I want to get really serious about it and, and see exactly what's going on with these females, I think that's the right way to go. I'm just surprised yeah. more people don't do it. I guess that's why I was asking.
2: Yeah, Eric, go buy an ultrasound and then let me use it.
3: So. <laughs> Yeah, I think as I get into uh
1: some of the more of these, you know, different species and stuff, I just for my own curiosity really, not more not to try to like uh you know, be master breeder or whatever, but I think like, you know, you get you get stuck in your your ideas of what breeding is, you know, and I can see myself like when I'm going to go breed another species thinking they're like carpets You know, because that's what I've bred so much Mm. of. And, like, trying to, you know, am I missing the window? Am I, you know what I mean? Like, just to see, like, what's going on. And, you know, I know a lot of people think that you should kind of be able to do that by old school ways, by looking at it. But I don't know. I think uh, sometimes what we think is going on is not what's going on. And you miss it. I'm
3: definitely more of a person that... Yeah. Yeah, I I think it it definitely um I, I like knowing exactly what's going on. And if you have tools yeah. at your disposal that gives why you not use insight, why not use it? Right? Yeah. And uh you know, you hear I, I think Rico at one point was talking about how he and it might have been in the latest Green Tree Python book that they were talking about that where uh he had a female that would not um ovulate during the same cycle as the majority of his other females would and it turns out that she her her cycle was the opposite she wanted to do it i think like during the summer months whereas most of his females wanted to do it during the winter and you wouldn't know that unless you had the ability to see what was going on with those follicles and and by using the ultrasound you're able to you know measure them on a regular basis and see exactly what's going on and and, um you know, I just think it would be really beneficial to use that tool, uh, you know, to see exactly what's happening rather than guessing.
1: Yeah, I yeah. think it's like, uh, you know, I think that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. You know, like you you think, I think a lot of times people just chalk stuff up for, I can't figure out why this won't breed. I, I You know, I'm doing everything hmm. the way it's supposed to be done. I, I just can't figure it out. And then it's like, well... That's because they don't want to breed when you want them to breed. They, You know, especially yeah, with, right. like, Indonesia species where, you know, you don't really have that temperature fluctuation, you know? Like, what is causing them to want to go into to breed, you know? And I don't know. Yep. And for Boland's pythons, eventually one day, you know? <laughs> Who knows? No one knows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, uh, no, yeah. I, I definitely... I, I mean, we spend so much money on snakes. I think you're right. It's not that, you know. I thought it was going to be like $25,000 or something like that. But it's really not that expensive. So, but uh, I did hear a tip uh, when it comes to, I forget where I heard this, but Tracy Barker shared it somewhere. Like when you're trying to ultrasound, especially something like a a green tree, uh, feed it and then ultrasound it. So it's mm. wrapped around the mouse huh. or whatever. And then you can kind of, you know, <laughs> why it's occupied. Oh, that's
3: a great idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If, if it's
2: mouth is full.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, scrubs, <laughs>
1: chondros, stuff like that. Stuff that, uh, they bite you. Emerald tree bow is, you know, mm-hmm. cool. Awesome. So I guess, uh, yeah, we're going to try to cut it early. Cause I got to go to, uh, pick up Rob tomorrow at five thirty in the AM. So, uh, <laughs> Where you know, can we Rob get
2: stone with his poor planning?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Well, first, let me ask this: Is there anything else you wanted to hit on? Anything else that uh, we didn't hit on that maybe you want to?
3: Sorry, Eric, I, I, my uh, my headphone just bumped out. What did you just say? Uh, no worries, I think no you worries. you
2: wanted to throw out there? You know, if you, anything you wanted to hit on. Anything else you want to hit on, oh, topic wise?
3: No, I think we covered it all.
1: Okay, cool. cool. So, if I want to get some of these cool uh, reptile um, innovations, how do I get that S three D enclosure designs? Where give me give me the lowdown?
3: Yeah, uh, the easiest way. Uh, I have a website now where you can go and purchase directly. Um, it's specialtyenclosuredesigns.com. dot com. Uh, you can go on there. You can pay with credit card or PayPal. Um, and I also have a uh, a Facebook page uh, of the same name. Uh, and You can certainly go there and, and reach out to me if you have any questions or, or um, want to check out what I have going on.
1: Awesome. Ooh. Look forward to meeting you this weekend, man. Uh, yeah, we'll see, see you a yeah,
3: Same here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you um, having me on. It's been great. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Anytime, man. You say, (laughs) all right, I'm going to go uh, to bed so I can go pick up Rob tomorrow at uh, five o'clock in the morning, man. (laughs) Uh, But uh, hey, man, thanks for coming on and uh, hanging out with us. Yeah, we'll catch you soon. All
3: right, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, man. Have Have a good one. Bye.
1: Cool stuff, man. Stuff that brings that like reminds that me, we, yeah.
2: We have to go to like a store and get a giant package of name tags because we're gonna need to do that.
1: Come on, year, bro. I already people. got that handled.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, then <laughs> it wasn't why wasn't that added to um, the thing that I haven't looked at in a week and a half, but because you, know, you
1: haven't looked at it in a week and a half. <laughs> if I go, if <laughs> I go
2: on there right now, will it be there? Because if it's there. I retract all the statement I just made. Will it be That's there? Right. What do you mean? Stop editing it while we're talking. Like, you know, if I go pull it up now, will name tags be on there? Yeah, I, I put it know. on there. Okay, yeah, I fine. I didn't look. Whatever. Eric, know. Name it. tags. Stop it. You're adding it right now. I know you're adding it, add it
0: right
2: that. now. I can't. I don't How believe can I you. Add it? I can't I don't add
0: know. It in
1: real time. You know, you know I can't talk and type, man. I'm not that smart.
2: <laughs> I just be quiet. <laughs> uh, you you have you make a very good point. So.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, very good. <laughs> all right, so this weekend, uh Northeast Carpet Fest. Um it's the one time of year where we all get together and uh, you know, get to hang out and have a good time and uh you know, yeah, it's a blast. So if you can make it out, you definitely should. It's in uh, Warminster, PA. Um, there's the going to be a bunch of people. Here. It's going to be awesome. The address awesome. is
2: on the Facebook page. But What's well, that? Just go. Ahead and, you you want to check out the actual address too, because it just being in Warminster, PA might be a little.
1: Oh yeah, I guess I can do that. I yeah nine six zero log College Drive.
2: <laughs> okay. So, and yeah. we'll we'll throw that up because I know there's usually one or two people who the day of are like, "Where is this thing?" I think, "All right, guys, come on." So the address is on the Facebook page as well as the various other places. So uh, yeah, make sure you find it and uh, definitely come out.
1: Uh, one thing I would mention: uh, the the pool is open, so if you want to swim, make sure you bring some. Uh, you know. Swimming attire, appropriate
2: uh, swimming attire. Nick Scali, Nick like Scali, appropriate. yeah, appropriate Nick. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, exactly for children. God damn it! Um, um, but yeah,
1: dude, the one thing I can't wait is and know mm. it's not on my diet—and uh, <laughs> pizza, but that no, I'm oh, over pizza. Pie,
2: dude. you're over the pie. You want the pie. Are you piece the entire pie and hide and like eat it in the corner? Nah, I'll just I'll just have
1: a piece of it, man. I don't get nah. greedy, but Travis Wyman is the <laughs>
2: baker. Not only
1: is he an expert geneticist, he is a baker beyond oh my god, it's freaking unbelievable how good of a baker he is. This pie was just incredible. It was me, Zach, and Nick. Just like killing yeah. the pie,
2: man. We just yeah, killed guys, it. I didn't, even, I didn't even have any of the pie. You guys decimated it before I got there.
1: I know. I so. felt bad. They were like, there's like, there's only a little piece for three of us left. And I was like, sorry, Owen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bet
2: you bastards. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's
1: like, Zach, you can save your piece for him if you want. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't like, know. No like way. You're like, <laughs> I have
2: no allegiance to this man. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. Not when so, pie's
1: involved.
0: <laughs> apparently
2: not. I love yeah. how that was the where we finally found the line in our relationship. It's pie. Yeah, so, pie. you
1: know. That... <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's just that pie, man. I'm not like a just pie that eater. One. I don't know.
0: That, that pie that in pie particular. Pie okay.
1: Yeah. yeah, all right, yeah. Well. <laughs> Holy shit. But anyway, um, I'm still up in the air. Margarita, not margarita. I don't know if we should do it or not. People but, were uh, bitching
2: about that today. I don't know why the hell it was like it's a, and it's like it's a margarita machine. You want and, it or you don't want it. Don't give me reasons. Yeah. Just tell me you want it or you don't want it. Yeah, everybody's Whatever. lining up like
1: uh gotta keep their manhood in check because God forbid oh, up. Like some
2: kind of shut sweet up. drink and
1: all of a sudden they're not a man anymore. Come oh, on. For
2: the love of God. <laughs> you know, and what was it? What what did everybody Bill say? Stiegel Pegorator. is the most manly man that I've ever met, and guess what? <laughs> Bill he Stiegel will margarine you in the front yard and you'll have a margarita <laughs> while he does it. But <laughs> Yeah, and then he'll and then he and Buddy will bring you back to life. But yes, it, it, was, it was his other other Buddy was like a keggerator. It's like what? I'm gonna smack him when I see him for that suggestion. Oh a man, kegerator.
1: what I a disappointment! Things, whatever. <laughs> I, oh my <laughs> what god, what a
2: disappointment of the he's, Buddy name, man.
1: He's <laughs> just
2: I don't know what he's doing. I don't know. I what had to, to reel him with. in. I've let him go for far too long without a yeah. good public thrashing. So, yeah. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Save it up for
0: Saturday.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, around the fire pit. Just
2: just let him uh, have it. Yeah. Somebody um, yeah, <laughs> smoking on a stogie. You come here. <laughs> yeah, start pit, talking. Sit, please. <laughs> please. Uh
1: we love you other buddy.
2: <laughs> Not as much
1: as the real buddy, but you know. It but
2: it don't, you know, it's there. So, yeah. Dude, I'm want. drowning
1: in baby snakes. It's insane. <laughs> it is just insane.
2: I want to say that everybody um,
1: said I told you, but
2: I, but wait, they did it before I get to? What the hell? Yeah, yeah, everybody's this is like, some, uh, this, this is, like dude, this is something of your own making. I know we always say that you never assume that every single female should <laughs> go. <laughs> But, Am I... you, no, 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 but you had females that didn't go so yeah I, I, I don't know what to tell you here it's like you, it's not like you hit one of those weird years where everything bred you had things that didn't work out and you still are coming out with like i had
1: three females that didn't go and
2: i was like Wow. If they would have went, this would have gotten a lot worse. Dude, the ship's already sinking. I don't know why you're like, a little bit more water would have really been bad. Yeah, It's like, no, it's already gone at this point. So, But it is. I will say, say this, man. Holy shit.
1: You know, they're starting to first shed. The citrus tigers, mm. just the straight citrus mm.
2: tigers. Oh, god damn,
1: dude. They are nice. Holy
2: shit. The straight shit. citrus tigers damn are always tags. nice. Whoa. <laughs> I'm looking more along the lines of, what the Fuck those granite things are that you popped out. Oh, I don't know, dude. I'm I'm it, totally dumbfounded. I, I know I always make photographs <laughs> of that shit that like, where it's like we're oh, thinking it's gonna look like a Maclots Python. Uh uh-uh. No, that is weird looking. That is not like it it it's something else. So I wanna see how that thing progresses as it gets older. Like show me yeah. pieces of that thing. Which by the way, if you sell it, I'm gonna kill you. Like, you know, don't oh, you hell no. dare let that Ooh. thing leave. I don't care who at Carpet Fest throws how much money at you. You no, dude. No, nah, that thing needs nah. to stay put. And uh, I want to see it like a year from now when it's grown. Yeah, Grunfer, and I think it's a man. A little bit bigger. So, yeah. uh, well, boys are good. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: The a couple of the other ones are females, you know. And like, well, uh, I don't know. Rob's Rob's good at sexing, right? Oh, no, this year I was pretty on point. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, when you come uh, from sexing blood pythons and short tails <laughs> and then you transition back and... to carpets,
2: yeah. <laughs> dude, it's a joke.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I'm just, I'm so just saying, if
2: we're, making, if we're making a list of what Rob has to do in your snake room, clean and sex all animals, get 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 to work, Rob. Yeah,
1: yeah he has to – well, this is his agenda tomorrow. I, I set him up a to-do <laughs> list. Um, He has to uh, set up the caramel – citrus tigers (laughs) after that. They should be out of the egg by the time he's done breakfast. And then uh, he can set them up, and then he'll have second breakfast. And then... um... After second breakfast, because, you know, That's Hobbit right. Manor, you a Hobbit have household. to have I'm, 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 yes. Forgive me. I, <laughs> <Yes. it's> just... <laughs> after, after second breakfast, then uh, he will proceed to uh, start cleaning because, uh, you know, I don't want him to, you know, to get his hands dirty before second breakfast. Um, I got him a nice little uh, one of those, um, you know, the putty knives to scrape out the oh his own putty
0: knife <laughs>
1: I got him his own uh box of gloves uh he's got black gloves, you know, so you can wear them not to uh not to uh all the paper is cut, you just have to like take it out clean it up, ready to go you know um. I think what might stop him and slow him down, I would imagine, like, as he's starting to go through, like, he'll see some of these mm. new species that I have. You want to check, check and he'll it still out.
2: be play with it. for a moment, like, ooh, he's like, I got ah, as far as these guys do it. And then I stopped.
1: <laughs> you still, you you just cleaned the ring pythons. And that, what are you doing, man? Oh,
2: yeah. Got,
1: got, got occupied here for a second. I, so I, uh, I got distracted. Yeah, dude.
2: So no, but exactly. I, I, I can't fault him for that because I'd probably end up doing the same thing, you know. So, Yeah, cleaning your snakes
1: before Carpet Fest is tricky because you typically what happens is, you know, everybody knows this, you clean the enclosure, they take a shit, you know. So it's yeah. like <laughs> you don't want to be like, you know, cleaning them well, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, Carpet Fest, and you're opening and cages and tubs and shit all over the place.
2: And that's what Howard told me because I think that one of the first years one of his snakes was like actively just took a shit right at Carpetfest, And mm-hmm. I was like, hang on. I got to get that. And Luke Snell was like, why? And he goes, because he goes, dude, we all know snakes shit. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know why <laughs> <You> uh, do, <laughs> Luke's Luke's like, leave it alone. Just let it be like, it's fine. Don't, don't stop everything to clean a cage just because one of them got dirty. You were busting your balls, cleaning the whole thing before Carpetfest. If they shit in their cage during, who cares? And I yeah. was like, you're right. And he threw the paper over there. So I've kind of right. had that mentality. Because if you remember, when I hosted, uh, Lon and Matt were all like, where's the blood? And they opened it up, and it like just opened up. Or like it just flooded its oh, cage. Oh, yeah. It, <laughs> I remember it, that. Shit and I'm like, and I'm like, oh my god, this is horrible. And they're like, that happens. I'm like, what? And they're like, oh, it's just the way they are. I'm like,
3: okay, I'm yeah. not freaking out at
2: all. So yeah, it you just kind of kind of roll with it. So
1: yeah, uh, yeah, it is. It, it'll it'll be okay. <laughs> That's what mm-hmm. I keep telling myself. So, uh, yeah, Carpet Fest this weekend and uh, next week's show, we're just going to do a recap uh, of uh, some of the shenanigans that uh, went on and, uh, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. If we survive um, I mean,
2: you know, we'll see. What was that? If we survive Carpet Fest, I mean, we'll see. I mean, you know, one of us might not make it out.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Joe might take, try to take me out so that, uh, uh, from the ground up can rise to the top.
0: <laughs>
2: you, think about it. It's an assassination attempt. Oh my God. <laughs> they know if they take you out, I'll just quit. So, <laughs> like, oh, screw this shit. Oh, screw I'm I'm done. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. Wow.
1: Um, Damn, man. <laughs> so, uh, so, so yeah. Uh, I don't even remember. Oh, and then the week after that, we have uh, Ryan um, from Rad Reptiles going to be coming on and talking with us, uh, some Carpet Python talk. Um, I do want to give a couple quick shout-outs. You know, we were talking about podcasts at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. show, and uh, I want to make sure um, that uh, I get this right. I didn't listen to it yet, but there is another – Podcast uh from the from Dan um uh Dan Haas over in the UK and um mm-hmm. they did their first podcast and uh it is called Reptile and Chill. Right? Yeah,
2: hmm. chill Reptile
0: All and right.
1: Chill. I like it. <laughs> so I don't and know. I I, is it that, Yeah.
2: Well I I think that Dan Haas, isn't he the guy who's gonna start up the uh Yes. Uh, the New England okay. chapter of Carpet Fest, or, or England's chapter of Carpet Fest, not New England. What the hell? Um, UK. It, it kinda, <laughs> UK. Thank you. Jesus Christ. The UK right. uh, um Carpet Fest, which is awesome. I can't wait for that to get off the ground, you know, catch up rest of the world. Jesus. Yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, check it out. Uh, you can get it on iTunes uh, and uh there's another one. Um, the guys from Australia that used to do mm-hmm. uh, reptile ra- Australia Reptile Radio uh, yeah. now have a podcast called Carpet Python Radio, and uh, <laughs> that will be. I, it didn't start yet, but uh, episodes will be coming out soon. So that's another one. Anyway, uh, yeah. For us, info at Morelia Python Radio is our email. Our website is MoreliaPythonRadio.com. dot com. And, uh, for myself, Eric at EBMorelia.com is my email and EBMorelia.com, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, uh, um, is, uh, where you can find me. Uh, and, uh, I promise we will get some footage from carpet fest and I will finish Owen's second video, (laughs) uh, for all the people that want to see it. Because there's some cool shit in that video, man. Your rough scales uh, okay. are in there.
3: and yeah. uh, the white
1: lips are in there. Uh, yeah, there's some yeah. cool stuff. Rhino rats, all that kind of cool colluded yeah. stuff. So it's good stuff, for sure. Um, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what thank I said, you. Thank you, thank you, thank
2: okay. you. As, as long as we're on the same page, Right. We're
1: taking out one species and yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
2: No. No, yeah, yeah. no. Just just with um, it. Just whatever. Yep. It <laughs> is what it is.
1: Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to have a ton of babies, so if you're looking for some carpet pythons, uh feel free to hit me up and uh they actually should be feeding. Uh, I got uh some stuff coming tomorrow. Uh that's another thing on Rob's to do list. Uh, get the babies feeding. Um, man, he's Rob's gonna be never going to come back. Yeah, like, yeah. I will, and then I'm going to take him out to dinner. You know, because oh. I
2: I'm, oh, that you you're know. a nice guy like that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'll take him and get him a Philly cheesesteak. He'll be all right. You know, damn.
2: All
0: right. God damn, Eric.
2: <sighs> so that's oh, all I God. got. Cool. Um, well, uh, what I got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. Check out all the stuff we got going on at Rogue. Um, I do have a bunch of animals available and can deliver to Hamburg Saturday morning. So I'm probably gonna end up doing that for somebody uh, already. So if you are interested, let me know. Uh, pretty soon I'm gonna be drowning in babies as well. So if you see anything on the uh, updates for the breeding journal. Which is completely up to date that you want to get on the list for, it, let me know. And we'll start seeing 2018 babies probably available in the next couple months. Um, that's also oh, you can go to Facebook.com and check out rogue reptiles on Facebook. Give us a like and we'll check and you can check out all the stuff going on over there. Um, that's all we have for you guys tonight. So we'll say thank you all for listening. We're gonna catch a lot of you this Saturday at Carpet Fest. And uh, we hope to see you there and we'll see the rest of you back here next week for some more Morelia Python radio. Good night.